And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. This is going to be a quick introduction. Um, my guest is Doug Allen today. Doug is the creator, um, executive producer of the TV series Entourage and the director of the movie Entourage, which just finished shooting, and I think he's editing now. It's funny. Um, Doug... You know, when people talk about uh, legendary creators of TV series, you know, and they'll bring up David Milch or Matthew Weiner or David Chase. I mean, Doug's a guy who uh, really, out of his imagination, created and his observations uh, these four characters who are completely indelible. Uh, he wrote almost every word of the series, even though other people are credited, and I'm sure he'll say other people uh, did write some episodes. It was this guy's voice for all those seasons uh, of television. And he, he really did something remarkable, and I'm excited to talk to him about it. There's a guy who's had, uh, before Entourage, a lot of ups and downs in his career. Uh, he was kind of written off by the town. He had to scrape and fight. And uh, and in the end, he has become uh, an enormously successful creative person. Uh, and uh, this is going to be fun. I'm, I'm glad he's in New York, and... Uh, I can't wait to talk to him about Hollywood. He'll be here in a couple of minutes and uh, talk to you then. Uh, one thing, I just checked. So so Doug is credited with writing uh, 96 episodes of that show. Uh, the next closest person is credited with writing uh, 21 episodes, and I would bet some of those 21 were also uh, also written by Doug. Okay, he'll be here soon. All right, so Doug has gotten here. Hey, man. What's up? What's up? What's up? Thanks for doing this. I know Thank your schedule you. must be... No, I actually have nothing to do right now. I'm Why? just eating all day. I mean, I should be writing a, a pilot, but as you know, I hate it. So, um, But don't you... Are you what, is your editor doing an assembly now? My editor's doing an assembly. I'll get in the room on uh, Wednesday. So, But we're not even finished shooting yet, because so, Kevin Connolly broke his leg, so I have to come back and shoot a couple of days. Um, did you hear about him breaking his leg? No, I didn't. What happened? So I had uh, Russell Wilson, who's a buddy of mine, was in the movie. And um, I had there's like a montage scene at the beach where he's throwing footballs to, you know, Jerry Farrar, who's Turtle, and Kevin, who plays right. E. And, uh, um, you know, they decided to play Ronnie Lott and uh, Jerry, Jerry, <laughs> oh, Connolly no. stiff-armed Jerry in the face. Jerry took him by the ankles. And, I mean, it was all and the was sand. Russell throw like, so was Russell, Russell throwing? Russell was throwing. Kevin likes to tell everyone he caught the ball. He held on to the pass. Jerry, Jerry took him down. It didn't look like much. Um, but he got up and he said, something's wrong. And we had Gronkowski was there and Russell was there. And I'm like, you're yeah, fine. Walk it off. Walk it off. So he goes and walks it off. And um, we continue shooting. An hour later, they call me up. They're like, you got to go upstairs. I'm like, why? He goes, because Russell and Gronkowski have ice on Connolly's leg. I'm no, like, are you joking? Yeah. I go up there and Connolly is like sprawled oh. out. He's like, something happened bad. His His ankle is purple. So we're still like we're all debating that it's a you know high ankle sprain whatever it is and and uh, we're trying to figure out I'm asking these guys can you get something that he can shoot himself up with so well, he can keep sure going? because you become like the, the scumbag I mean, coach it's, it's, I was you totally become like the coach. the coach I really was no Kevin will tell you I was actually we got to call a doctor Kevin actually 
uh, was a badass, and he's like, I'm not calling a doctor, let's just go, and he he worked the next two days. Without which, going to the doctor. Without going to the doctor, when I'm begging him to go to the doctor, um, and he finally goes, and they said, you broke your leg in two places. They could not believe he was even able to walk on it, let alone was walking on it. So, so. he's like hockey tough. He is hockey tough, and Ronda Rousey just did a, a podcast with somebody the other day where they, they were asking her who the uh, who the toughest. I didn't hear it, but Kevin has related Wait. to me. But they, you know who Ronda of is, course, right? So yeah. they asked Ronda who the toughest of the five guys Ronda's were. Ronda's this UFC, uh, the, the champion woman UFC competitor. She's uh, yeah. a killer. And so a bronze uh, medalist yeah, in and judo. judo. Yeah, and so she, uh, she said, you know, she Kevin Collins is savage. I mean, this guy played through a broken leg <laughs> for two days. That's so. great, hockey tough, but still enough actor that he has to tell you that uh, the, yes, yes. that the hot tough girl said he was yes. tough. And, and he's also he's very concerned that this this shot of him catching this ball will be in the movie. So you, you want to make sure that the actual Kevin moment wants of the injury. Sure. Kevin wants to make sure. How yeah. was the take? Is it all right? You know what? I didn't even look at the dailies because I've been trying to pretend this didn't happen and just like get through it emotionally. That because uh, he's in bad shape you know it's it's really uh it was a bad break it wasn't just um you know a little break so he's a great guy when our 30 for 30s would finished at kind of the same time mm -hmm. and so we did some promotional events right. together what a he's what the, a terrific he's the, dude he's he the is. best he's the best and clearly ho hockey tough so that must be killing you though that your movie's not fully in the can it's killing me but it's also giving me a chance to go okay you know we can put this thing together and God forbid there's something I'm missing, I'll be able to do something in six weeks about it. So, um, you know, but it's it's a little, it's a little you know, aggravating. But The stuff that you didn't shoot, like, where does it fall in the, in the narrative of the film? There's no way to, to put this story into it, like a leg break or anything. But uh, the stuff, it's, it's midpoint stuff. But it's, you know, what I, what I like to do with the show is these guys walking and on the move. And everything that was left was Kevin walking, basically. Great. So, yeah. That's just perfect. Yeah. So, Doug, uh, this show is called The Moment. And I like to start by finding a moment in somebody's life, someone who's done something like remarkable, you know, uh, where it's like an inflection point where everything is on the table, a moment they've either been building towards or uh, a hard one. And like you've had so many because you had so many, I think. Crashes or something. Yeah, yeah. crashes and then huge <laughs> heights. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but it does seem to me like this moment now where you've... Um, you finally got to direct this movie. Yeah. Like what? What is it when, when you stepped on the set finally? Like the first day of actual. I'm wondering, the first day of actual production or the first day that the production office was open for you on, on this movie. Mm -hmm. When? What was the moment you let yourself go? Oh, okay. It's actually. You know what? I tried so hard on this one to like. You know, I, I made so many speeches to the guys that I'm sure they can't stand me. That we what really, kind of speeches? Just how much we need to appreciate this because. Whether the movie ultimately is successful or not, the process of what we do, you know, is so unbelievable. I mean, we're on, it's 75 and sunny every day. We're in beautiful girls are surrounding everybody. We're with our sports heroes and acting heroes. And um, it, it's, you know, I think it's one of those things when the show was going, we were so go, go, go that we, we didn't take it time to smell the roses. So uh, every day I would go, guys, I want you to just really, and they would be like, just shut up already. Like, let's shoot the movie, and, you know. But um, it was... Uh, it was somewhat surreal because it felt like nothing changed. Really? But, you know, and it's just, you know, we were always this kind of little show that, how did this happen? You know, like we didn't, you know, we didn't know if we were getting picked up 
when you know the show when we finally right. I mean it took two and a half years to get the script to the green light but then we didn't know if the pilot was getting picked up then the first season even though we were fortunate enough to get amazing reviews and stuff the numbers seem to be very low now I have theories on that but you know that was when TiVo really started coming into its yeah, own yes and I want to go back and talk yeah. about that two and a half years yeah. when you were waiting to get green because yeah. it's incredible I mean you've told me some of it but I want to yeah. get get into what that must have felt yeah. like oh, it didn't feel good T- <laughs> T- so then with all, and, and this movie took you a long time to get made mm-hmm. didn't it mm-hmm. well first I went and uh, I took a year off not a year off I made two other pilots and, and tried to you know do some other did things did you with shoot my life. two pilots I shot two pilots yeah when I or, I when knew I, the one yeah one I produced with, with uh, that Spike Lee directed that John Ridley wrote so I had some uh, some nice people in, involved John just won an Oscar for uh, 12 yeah. Years a Slave um, and the other one was with Eddie Burns Michael Rappaport and Michael Imperioli um so uh, oh, I was with you the night you found out one of them was falling apart. Yeah, yeah, which I, I still Brutal. will never understand for the rest of my life. But and I don't think anyone who sees it will either. But it is what it is. So, um, but um, so so you you'd done these pilots and then you said, all right, I'm going to write this. I said I wasn't, as I tell you every day. You know, when I see Brian, I, I feel like. He taunts me with these six-second screenwriting oh. lessons that, that that constantly tell me what I'm not doing right, which I'm 100 percent sure. You're is the only with. person I made a person. I yeah. made a personal individual <laughs> one for it's, ever. It's very after me. It's very in my head. But uh, you know, I, I just the process of writing is a very difficult thing for me. The process of being on a set is very natural and feels right, and I feel comfortable. Whether I'm good at it, I don't know, but I feel good at it. So uh, I really didn't want to write the script, not just because I just didn't want to get into it again. And and entourage, while many will say how easy it is and it's so this five guys all with full storylines is, is very challenging and tricky Wait, you know? what do you mean when you say because you, you it's amazing to me you you have uh i and i think so i said this when i introduced your introduction i did before which is i don't know why you're not in the conversation when people talk mm-hmm. about these guys who've created these worlds because yeah. you did create this world you know and it seems like you have a, a chip on your shoulder but nobody no, would say it's easy no no chip on my shoulder no 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 i just say you know it, it's it's a show that kind of feels like it's just light and it's airy and it's fun which it is but you know there's some complexities to the storytelling and and to get five guys in 30 minutes to all actually have stories is challenging and i don't have any of the tricks of a voiceover or anything that can i don't know any minimize any it, but, writers yeah. who would say i don't know any writers Who've done? I mean, I know lots of writers who've never had anything produced. Yeah, might have say, comments. Yeah, it's a lot comments. of haters out there. But so, but, but I don't know any writers who who've yeah. written uh, th- shows or movies who could look at Entourage and think that would be easy to do well, uh, to really create those four individual characters yeah. and then the fifth one yeah. and. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. But anyway, I didn't want to write. I didn't want to sit back down and write. Um, and and I would run into Mark, and he, he would just, you know, what are you doing? I've made seven movies while you're sitting on your ass doing nothing. And then Ari would call me and be like, I don't understand what you're doing. And I also have I have kind of a negative personality, so I didn't I didn't really think any studio was going to make this movie. So um, had you pitched it or you wrote it on? No, no, I just wrote it. I mean, HBO made the deal uh, for me to write a script. So it kind of almost, to me, in my negative way, it felt like that was just a deal that was part of my last season deal, and it was just you know a way to you know a way to effectively give me more money without you know really meeting anything. Did so, you know what you wanted to do? No, no, no. I never know what I want to do. So I kind of make it up as I go along, and uh, I started 
just um, writing with no plan of where it was going, which, you know, is not a good idea, as I'm sure you know. Um, and I wrote a draft, and, and everybody hated it, kind of like <laughs> kind of like how the pilot was. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, we sat down and chatted a little bit about it, and then I went in a different direction. And then, uh, you know, about four months later, we came out with another one. Everybody seemed really happy with it. It went to Warner Brothers. Um, they couldn't have been more supportive and quick to go, let's go make this movie. And then uh, all the actors were, were busy, so, you know, we, we had to wait for a while. So. How long from when you finished that draft? From when Warner Brothers said, let's go, I think it was a year, you know, until we got on set. Um, and did you believe that whole time, okay, this is going to happen, or were you not sure? I started to just put it out of my head and, and go, this obviously is not going to happen. So um, there were a lot of times I didn't believe it was going to happen. Now, when you say people read it and and uh, the first draft of it and they didn't like it or they yeah. had comments, who are you, are you talking about? Well, Lev, Steve Levinson. He, you know, I don't you know. Mean you're produ- no, you're saying you're yeah, producers my, on pr- it. Yeah, my you pr- didn't show it to the actors at that point. No, no. No, I mean, I actually do usually give Jerry and Kevin stuff if they were around. I don't remember. They, they're usually pretty supportive of the stuff. But, uh, um, you know, Lev is like my, you know, he's, he's the guy I go to for the, you know, right. when he says it's good, I feel good about it. So he, he I don't think, by the way, if you asked him, I don't think he'd say he hated it. But, no, uh, no, that's but you how processed it that way. Yeah, I processed and, it that And way. how do you process that? Like, as a... As, um, as a successful person, yeah. how do you when how do you keep yourself in a place where you're willing to listen to that kind of feedback? I'm always willing to listen. I've never been a person who's that, uh, you know, because as I said, I'm much more to go to, yeah, you're right, I do suck, you know, than, than going, right. you don't know what you're talking about, this is great. Um, but, you know, if I hear uh, something that makes sense to me quickly, I'm, I'm willing to do it. And I think, you know, with, there's a million ways to do Entourage, and I could write, you know, I could write... 3,000 different versions of similar storylines that would have different tones and this and that. And it's it's about getting the balance right. So, Okay, so with, with that being your attitude of, of like... Uh, so I'm just moving something out of the way so I can see you better. With, with that being your attitude of, um, you know, ah, I think I'm probably crap and it's probably no good. Yeah. How did you keep yourself going in the years before Entourage? Like, what was it that made you think, okay, I'm... What part of you thought, I you know, can do it? You know what? It's like this business is like it's set up to really just just torture you. But I'm not a guy who was – I always moved at my own pace, and things happened to go you know, pretty well for me. They didn't go great, but they went pretty well. I made a short film. It sold to Showtime. Uh, I got hired to do a movie for $100,000. We sold it to Artisan or Live Entertainment at the time, and they released it. Was that it. Fat Beach? Fat Beach. And I mean, so that movie yeah. – but that was a spec. or, or what? That was, You're the only writer on that movie, right? Uh you know what? I don't know if I shared the credit. They gave me a script, so I, I don't want to say, you know, Chris Rock has made fun of uh, Fat Beach many times. I don't want to say I conceived of the movie Fat Beach, right. but I, I did a no, short No, I give film. you, I think you're the auteur. I, I you did, are the auteur of I Fat did, Beach. I did I've sh- seen the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's it still plays 20 years later, but right. I did a short film coming out of film school. And Where'd you I, go to film school? Uh, AFI, the American Film Institute. And I got a call from a producer who said, I saw your short film, you're a genius, you're perfect to do this movie, which uh, PHAT does not exist to white people in 1991, and I'm serious. And, right. And I, he says, Fat Beach, and I, I thought he said Fat Beach, and I said, what, I don't understand what that is, whatever, That's and he said, it's the right. first African-American beach comedy. And, he said, and I said, why would you want me to do this? Right. He said, your voice, your tone, whatever. So anyway, we shot this movie in six days. The producer ran out of money, and we were down for 
nine months, it was over. It was like I had a nice experience. Someone gave me, they paid me like $7,500 to make right. this movie. Then I was in my house, and a friend of mine at the time, Aaron Weinberg, was like over, and I was showing him these dailies. He's like, this is great. I was like, great at what? What are you talking what about? What kind of great? Yeah. So he calls me back a week later and says that... that Live Entertainment wants to finish this movie and release it. And I was like, release it where? Where would they possibly release this movie? So we shot another three or four days. The whole movie is literally done in under 12 days. Um, and then they call me up. They're, they're releasing it on 400 screens. We're doing like a real premiere, like we made a movie here. And uh, New York Times reviews this thing. But it was shot um, in such a crazy fashion. Did you, did you have any idea what you were doing? You know what I like? You know, like I, I say, because you were like twenty two, right? You know, like I say, the one thing I always feel like I'm the funniest guy on the set, whether I am or not. And obviously, I have a lot of funny people, so I know what I want to hear. I'm, uh -huh. I'm very kind of, uh, I go audio more than visual, so I know what I want to hear. I know how I want people to sound. We didn't have much of a story, but you know, what what are you going to do? So we did we did the best we could, and uh, it was non union actors besides Jermaine Hopkins. Uh, Sometimes you get lucky. Coolio, we, we got in this movie, and all of a sudden he popped like right. right after. So they put him on the poster as if he was in it. He was in it for like 43 seconds. Right. And uh, they released it. And it's uh, been playing ever since. I think it's... I've seen somewhere that's grossed like $20 million. And, well, you um, must have the residual I have, I, It's not even it. not in a union. So it was non-union. I got nothing. And um, I've never gotten anything from it. So Right. So that movie came out, and, and at the time, did that lead to more work in that genre originally like well, what i started getting all these meetings i i think um I, you know i don't remember everything exactly but i i remember i had a meeting with ice cube on friday and and i think people thought i was black when they saw the movie and then right. i was coming into meetings and they weren't and again like i say i'm always at my own pace and i'm i'm like i didn't really like anything i was reading and i i just kind of passed on things and then somehow uh this other movie came to me the same way some uh Lev, who was my manager at the time, Steve Levinson, brought me this this script that James Fry, who wrote yeah, uh, uh, a million, million pieces, pieces, yeah, um, Kissing a Fool. That's um, the David Schwimmer movie. David Schwimmer. So I I did a a rewrite of that, and then we went and made that movie for a million and a half dollars. Universal picked it up, uh, um, put it out on twenty two hundred screens, I think, and I was on top of the universe. I was the hot guy for about forty five seconds. I was getting offers, like offers to do things. And you which, mean right up until the movie didn't really perform. until the movie didn't perform, which again I go, well it cost two two point three all in. I think it opened at like two point six. But they made it like it was this giant studio film and all of a sudden it was deemed as this film. Oh, because David was had become such a huge star. Yeah, I mean, you know And so people you know, a, a huge T V star. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people thought, oh, we can really capitalize yeah. on this, and then you pay, in a way, I, I paid you the paid price. the price, yeah, right? And I actually, I, I mean, one of the learning lessons of that, because I had at least three movies that I could have directed, but I was like, nah, I'm going to wait for, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to write my own thing, I'm going to do it, and by the time that movie opens, I'm dead. Oh, I, mean, I want to go back, you mean the yeah. moments that you could have directed other movies was, were when the before when, that movie's opening. When it's in the yeah. can yeah. and before it's come yeah. out. Yeah, and people, I'm meet, every meeting I'm having with heads of studios and the top people in the business and top talent, they're going, oh my God, you're like brilliant. You're this, you're that. So I'm actually starting to believe this is a really great movie and, and life is done and I'm all set. And um, the movie comes out, doesn't make money. They put it... 
again, like I say, this movie cost nobody any money, but they put it on the cover of, I think, Variety as the downfall of the Universal Marketing, you know, division. <laughs> right. And it never said it was an independent movie because it it looked and like it was. A, it looked like a studio film. You know, we had you know Tom Del Ruth, who was an A-list cinematographer who had done Stand by Me oh, and A Few right. Good Men, shot it, and you know we did a nice job for the money we had. And really at that time, it. were you thinking of yourself as a director more than a writer? I don't think of myself as anything. I have no what, idea. Well, no, you know? I, mean, that, that, I, I honestly, I mean it. I swear, I I don't know. I was just I I just was going and I was doing it and 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 I you had mean no, you were looking at scripts or you were coming up with original ideas yeah, for you. Just, it was I, just like how do I tell these stories? Yeah, somehow. kind of that. I never have really a strong plan. I've always thought this is almost like a hobby, which I know is probably one of your lessons. That's not a good idea. No, to, I, to I do. think that. But, oh, no, I never. I've never career planned either. Yeah, no, I, mean, I just I, think of like follow your curiosity and yeah, passion. Yeah, right? That's, and I, I think you know there's probably better ways to do it. But honestly, after kissing a fool, which is my second movie to be released in movie theaters before I'm 30. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm taking the LSATs and thinking about going back to law school because I swear to God, I can't I can't get anything now. Now I've gone from high paid price to write a couple of things. You know, um, I wrote the, I wrote a draft of the Heartbreak Kid, which I really thought was a go movie until Kissing a Fool opened and right. very different than the Ben Stiller version. I was going to say then they did yeah end up then they did it, it but later. very very different um, and. Uh, I was unemployable. Like there was not one job that I could get. All of a sudden, it was like, I how did from... your agents tell you that? They don't tell you. Like, that. How they would just you don't yeah. call you? They how just would you figure it out? To you, you know. And I would, you know, thank, thank God, I, you know, Lev was my friend rather than my manager. But he would be like, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, he just, it's not good. It's not good. You know, that would uh, be the call. All you the know, time. but my agents would literally not call me, and I was, you know, you go from which is exactly all the stuff that I did on Entourage of course. was from my life more than, you know, Marx was this rise straight to the top. He's never looked back. You know, he's, uh, it's just been a fun. You know, shoot to the well, moon. Yeah, when, so. I, when I watch Entourage, when I watch the the first season of that yeah. show, I see a total, um, an still an outsider's perspective yeah. on this, right? Because you were. You were had been inside, yeah. but you'd been knocked down. I mean, I mean it that's totally how I looked at it. I'm like, I, I constantly said Vince has to be knocked down. I know it's a movie star, but he he can't just be you know Brad Pitt or what do we have? So um, I always try to find obstacles for him, and a lot of them were things that happened to me. But after Kissing a Fool came out, I literally could not get a job at anything. And you go from where I was paid you know a million dollars to write a script to where you can't get anything. So it's not like you get to go, well, I'll write a script for $100,000 or how about $50,000? You could become that you can't get anything. So it's a very strange thing. And I think people don't understand why, you know, people get paid so much when they can make money for people and then so little after that. So, but it is what it is. You know? No, it's like, be, in a way, it's like uh, it's like professional football player. For, mm. You know, sometimes you only have a four-year career. Exactly. And then you hurt yourself and you're done. Yeah. Um, but when you... Uh, so were you living like so when you got when you were on that train of like okay it's all mm -hmm. going great did you buy did you get a big house or did you keep no, living small no I've never small? been like you know I kept everything pretty small and modest because you had some never, awareness that it could go away you I think? just yeah and I'm not I, I honestly even though you know my life is a little different now I'm divorced well, of now of course now I'm your life's different but I'm divorced now but I'm still like and I think my ex-wife would say the same thing I haven't changed since kindergarten it's been the same thing and uh, and all of the rises like you asked about being on the set it all kind of just 
it all kind of just goes for me. It, it just, um, I don't spend a lot of time going, I'm here, I've made it, now I can do whatever. I kind of look like the past is the past, and what are we doing tomorrow? And the, tomorrow is usually a big stress for me, so, you know, that's just how I operate. So, you mean, while you were telling everyone on the cast and crew to enjoy this and soak it up... Oh, I was, was miserable. You were miserable. Miserable. <laughs> that's great. Miserable. That was really yeah. a speech for myself, you know? Right. I mean, you, you couldn't feel any of that. Yeah, not very little, but I did actually, I did have a great experience on this movie we had we had fun and it was was this um, the first time you had real resources as a director to be honest with you the budget is not significantly higher than it was per episode to do a full season of you know 10 episodes eight episodes it was on par so it was not uh, a cushy thing but i think you know i have the same crew and we've learned how to navigate la and we've learned how to do this this big show which it was it was a big half hour show um we've learned how to do it on you know for cheap so or relatively cheap so um but it was fun it wasn't it wasn't the the shooting of the film was not the highly stressful part of it it was really getting that script in order so you mean getting the script to a place where you felt you could put it in the actor's hands yeah, and that well, they would all feel like they were taken care of? Yeah, well, that was also, I mean, that's incredibly difficult. I mean, two things, I mean, you know, for anyone listening, never become friends with your actors. That's the biggest mistake <laughs> you can do, you know. Sure, yeah. But, I, you know, I wanted I wanted them all to be happy, and it's very tough for five people um, in a 90-minute movie, hopefully 90 minutes. It's probably going to be three and a half hours by the time I'm done with it. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's very tough to please everybody, but also not just the actors. I wanted to studio happy and uh, and I wanted to feel that it was the best it could possibly be when we got on the set so uh, you're as you know it's like you're always tweaking until the scene's done it's like you know so well, yeah, so you're rewriting a lot on the set I'm rewriting on the set I'm rewriting at night I'm changing ideas and things I'm changing casting I'm doing all are sorts you of cutting things. as you're going Editing or, yeah. or the script? No, editing. I mean my editor's Is your editor stuff together. Showing no. you cut scenes. I won't, even, you don't? I won't even look at dailies. Yeah, why? I mean, I just don't want. I'm on the set. I know what I, I know what I have, and I'm just focusing on the next day. You even know? though now it's so easy in a way to mm. digital to look at stuff. I you don't just wanna, don't want to even. Yeah. Uh, you'd rather look yeah. at it in the editing room as exactly. an assembly. Yeah, because I, I I know. I mean the way I look at it, you know, it's it's sad. It's like you have a great scene written, you almost tear it down when you start shooting it, and I know that I'm going to be able to put it back together when I edit it in the pace that I want and all of that. So um, as long as I hear it properly, I feel good. I don't need to see it. So. And how are you with uh, imp improvisation? I'm, I'm perfect if they want to. Most of my guys don't want to. Um, I usually try to throw things at them. Um, Gary Busey, who we had in the movie, he won't say anything I write. So, you know, he's. I'm happy to do that, too, and I can, I'll can. i throw things. So I, I, it doesn't matter to me if they want to do it, but usually the scripts are usually pretty tight when you have four or five guys talking at the same time. It would be nearly impossible for, you know, do, for people does, starting from... Does the movie feel to you as, as personal as a lot of the show felt to you? Yeah, it just, you know, I put so much of my own life into this, you know, thing and everything from, you know, Ari's relationship with his wife, who's named Melissa, who's, you know, my ex-wife's name, and right. my son plays Ari's son. So, you know, there's so much personal stuff in it. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was fun, though. This was really a good time. So when you talk about it being, I'm glad that it was a, a good mm -hmm. time for you, even though, as you say it, it's like... <laughs> no, it sure, but I mean it. Was a... Uh, the idea of friendship, you know, it really goes through all your, all your stuff. You know, the this one pilot you wrote that I loved that didn't get made. Mm -hmm. I mean, you made it, but it didn't yeah. go on the air. Well, yeah. Forty yeah. was really about um, friendship and the way that um, 
the different kinds of stresses that can mm-hmm. come onto a guy friendships mm-hmm. when the success is disparate. Yeah. So have you like where's that idea? Because it's obviously like really all, a core yeah, thing to think that's about. That's all. It's all coming from my life. I mean, you know, so much of the show was based on this group of guys. I mean, I just you know, I think I invited you to come the other night, but we went to. I go to Don Pepe every no, time I come. You, no, you didn't invite me. I thought I did. No, I would have hmm. come. Interesting. I love Don Pepe's. Yeah. Well, next time you come, but I bring all of, you know right. all of my high school, college. I mean, we go thirty people show up at this thing, you know, and they're the same oh, guys. Awesome. Some of them are the same guys I've been friends with since kindergarten. And how close did you grow up to that place? I it's thirty minutes from that place. What town did you grow up? I grew up in Merrick. Right. You grew up yeah. in the South Shore. Yeah. I grew up in so, the North Shore. Yeah. So it's not Long that Island. that restaurant is the place, but that's the place that it's become that we we it's go to. Still but the best restaurant it's, on Long it's, Island. It's the best, you know. So, but uh, you know, I have such close relationships with these guys and and the 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 different things that so many of them have experienced and the successes of some of my friends and the lack of successes of others. You know, it's an interesting dynamic that the world probably hadn't seen till the last twenty years when you have one guy who's making a hundred million dollars a year and one guy who's making twenty five thousand dollars a year and they're still best friends and and there's really you know what the hidden jealousies are behind the scenes i don't know but it is oh here i'm i got the plane and i don't mean me but my wealthy friends i got the plane and i'm bringing on you know one of your best friend can get friends controls the plane so you get the plane it's crazy yeah well luck i'm lucky for that so that's one of my elementary school friends also who is there you know right but um, no when you're there you're saying the hidden jealousies i don't know what they are yeah because i mean part of the way that you go through the world i think just having watched you is sort of like acting like you don't really know what these things are but you're yeah. you do know. I mean, I'm pretty aware of of people and their things. But what I what I mean is when my friends get together, yes. it's like elementary school again. And whoever was the the tougher one still thinks he's the tougher one. Whoever's the better looking one thinks he's the better looking one. And it's just the same dynamics that we've had since we're children, you know. So it's it's fun, and that's the stuff I try to put in the show. And you don't really feel in watching Entourage that Vince is the rich one. They all feel like they're the rich ones, you know. They all feel like they've got it all. So. That's how it, you know. Are you listening when you're with them? Are you watching or are you in it? I'm saying as a writer. How I'm probably, do you... I'm a listener, you know? I mean, I'll jump in and talk, but I've always been the listener. I hear everything that everybody's saying and it all registers to me. And the amount of things that these guys have been like, I can't believe you put that in the show. Right. You know, I can't believe you remember that. I can't, you know. And I mean, I had this scene, my friend went crazy, you know. He, what is it? I mean, it's from literally from seventh grade in the diner when yeah. we, you know, we were leaving and he, he, he didn't eat his French fries. He said they were, they were gross and I ate his french fries and when the bill came and we have no money back then he's like I'm like where's your money he's like no 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 you ate my french fries I'm like you sold me your freaking used soggy french fries right. but you know and that's the the kind of stuff that, that influenced me like diner stuff and swinger stuff that's just guys you know in their stupid little you know minuscule details and do you write that stuff down or do you just remember it when you're writing suddenly it's in there I usually remember it I usually don't write too much down and do you talk to those guys normally? Are you guys all emailing like when football games are on or is it all, that you get together? All the time. I talk to them all the time, especially now with the, the texting stuff. I mean, I don't, you know, I was always pretty in contact with everybody phone wise, but now it's like, I mean, we have group texts with 14, you know, 14 people from high school with every kind of, you know, crazy different life that, that one's leaving from the next. I mean, I have, I have some strange friends, so. Uh, <laughs> how, how many of them uh, are still out on Long Island? Um, at least a dozen, at least, you know, from elementary school, you know, and, um, none are really still in Merrick where we grew up, but they're all around that area. Right. Even though Long Island's very different than, yeah. than I think than, yeah, for sure. 
Like when you yeah. go out there, a lot of your place is still there. Are they, like Don Pabs is still there. Don Pabs is still there in Queens, but Merrick, you know, my favorite places are all gone. Our, we had our favorite Chinese place gone, favorite pizza place gone, favorite bagel place gone. It's, you know, it's sad. They were there for a long time, though, because I go back all the time, and I like to show up at my house every five to ten years. You do? You ask yeah, the people yeah. if you can oh, walk yeah, yeah. in? Yeah. And what happens? Yeah, they let me in. They let me in. Same I really, people I'm, or different people? It's man. been the same people. They have some of my parents' same furniture since, uh, since so they wait, moved in 19. So wait, walk me through this. What do you do? I just go knock on the door, and I say, hey, can I come in? And, you know, it got easier once the show came out, and they're like, hey, you know, whatever. But, right. uh, you know, I've gone back at least five times. I've gone in with a video camera, and uh, I've seen my room. That I've watched this girl sort of grow up in that room. You know, I I don't remember. the. I think she was going to medical school or something, but it, it was uh, it was pretty wild. What do you do when you go there? I just, you mean in Merrick? No, like when you go back to that house. I have so many memories that I What happens to you emotionally? Think, I mean, nothing, you know... There's nothing like my K through 12 days to me. Like, I have so many vivid memories of those, even though college was such a great time for me. There's so much less connection to me when I go back to my college house, which I do. Um, there's just that house was the house. My house was the house all of my friends would come to it was all the, the time. You know, my mother was, was an extremely, extremely... Um, nitpicky tough woman that all of my friends loved but they were all scared to death of her so right. my house was the one that they would come in and we'd play basketball in front of the house and, and you know it'll never be like this again to me but Merrick Long Island we had I guess my block was probably 60 70 houses and 40 of them were kids my age or within three years so you could you could play hockey on the street with 20 people in five minutes i mean you know my kids don't have any of that stuff so uh it, it was just a special way to grow up and you were in the mix right away you never felt like you were an outsider then uh, well, i'm saying you weren't you were you had this group of people and you were right at the center of it because yeah, a lot of time I, writers are people who are not quite. Yeah, you know, I probably was, you know, I was at, probably at the center, but I was always the more difficult one than whatever. And this Were my, you creative? I don't know. I mean, there was it a party? No, did you think yeah, to yourself? I like, did. I did. You know, and I mean, I, I that was what I was into. I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to be an actor. I was obsessed with Woody Allen and Albert Brooks. Yeah. And yeah, I was definitely the creative one, and, and most of my friends weren't. And uh, you know, but. Uh, it was just the same group, though. From from and if you could make those guys laugh, you thought it was good. Is that you thought you could make anybody laugh? Yeah, basically. sure. Yeah, yeah. And they made me laugh. I mean, we just had we just had some bizarre people in my town. Well, so, no, it makes sense because yeah. when you look at your when you when you look at your when you look at your work, it is like um, by picking actors in Hollywood, you know, people in, in Hollywood, you are in a way picking like was you're in a way picking people who never have to grow up yeah yeah and then you know it, it would be nice that's probably you know that's probably the most unrealistic thing people would always say is entourage realistic the business stuff was as realistic as i could view it but guys being that tight once they hit the 30s that's where the things they just can't last like that you know and you can get together for dinner but with the families and kids coming along and people having job stresses, they can't worry about their friends the way they might have in 10th grade when, you know, they'll take a punch in the face for you if it's, you know, the, the tough guy is there, you know, so. Oh, yeah, the, you've, when there's not, when the most important thing in the world is to be there for your best yeah, friend. Yeah, you can't do that anymore, though. I mean, some people can, but I, I try to do that. But, you know, I've also, I, I've also, I'm kind of the connective glue that's kind of gets everybody together every time we, you know, every time I come in it's just this it's a giant group of people that get together and it's pretty it's pretty cool did they come out did they visit you when you were shooting the movie i had four of four of my best friends came out 
And I think they were just like, <laughs> like, what is this? You know, like, because they, you know, they visited me on a particularly fun week with you a know, lot of women on set. Emily Ratajkowski is on the set, and Russell Wilson, and Rob Gronkowski, and Gary Busey, and this one, and that one, and two hundred bikini girls. Um, it was perfect weather, and it was New York was such a disaster this year. So, I mean, they just did not want to leave. You know, it's really interesting about that time being so important to you because when you think about the people that you've tried to bring back and sort of re, you know, put into their proper place. If you think about Busey, mm-hmm. or you think about Dice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dice must have been important to you and your friends. Extremely important. I mean, you know, and I remember the first time I saw the guy on the Dangerfield special oh, on yeah, HBO. I mean, literally one right? second. Yeah. One second in, I was like, who the hell is this guy? And to see him in L.A., 15, I mean, he was making a million dollars a night. He was selling out Madison Square Garden. Right. You know, 15 years later... You know, I mean, Dice, you know how much I love you, but he's hurting. You know what I mean? He's like, you know, he's doing a good friend of mine's living room. You know what I mean? Like, he's playing his living when room. When you say doing, he's, ru- he's, he's doing the rug in the no, living room? No, he's, he's performing. Doing, he's performing right, for a birthday party. Know, don't call room. him a gym right, owner. You know? Don't say he's but, running a gym. You know, but I run into Dice, and, and, you know, and I still look at him like he's... Andrew Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay, and he's like, yeah, you know, like... he like. It's Where'd a, you run into him? How did it happen? Well, I ran into him, you know what, I, I don't remember the first time I ran into him at the comedy store, and we, or I think, and we started talking, whatever, but then, four years later, Bruce Rubenstein, who's a friend of mine, just said he was working with Dice, and uh, would I ever put him on the show? I'm like, are you kidding? I'll put him on the show in one second. And Dice really was, like, so grateful, as if I was, you know, doing this great favor to him, and I'm like, Dice, are you kidding me? Like, you're going to be amazing for this, and, uh, you know, it, it's it's... A gratifying feeling that it worked, and and supposedly, and I ask Dice this every day. I go, is this true what you're telling me or not? Because he tells me that Woody Allen cast him because he saw him on Entourage. So I would go, Dice, has Woody Allen seen Entourage? What did I tell you, okay? (laughs) He saw me and he cast me. But I I don't know if it's true, But and it was great. And seeing him, because I know, in my humble opinion, when I see a star. And Andrew Dice Clay is a star and could have acted and could have done many different things, but he created such a huge character that people wouldn't let him out of that. And then, you know, they, they... really tortured him by saying his jokes were basically his personality, you know, when obviously it's no different than Eminem or Jay-Z singing about whatever they're singing about. So, um, it well, was Well, and then, tough... you know, Hollywood, as you know better than anyone, but as you write about, Hollywood will, the moment that they could destroy him after Ford Fairlane, you know, he had a huge bomb. Yep. And then they were able to just write yep. it off. Right? Yeah. Because when he was making money for them, they didn't care about the content of his. Yep. Yep, at all. And uh, so it's great to see, you know, hopefully he's back. And, you know, we were just talking about, you know, Steinberg's show, which I just saw the other day when Dice was on. And he's so gracious about it and, and thankful. And, you know, but that was my childhood and watching those guys. And it's like, you know, I've had a chance. You know, my idols were Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy. Comedians were my thing. And Jerry Seinfeld and, you know, Larry David. And I've gotten to meet all all of these people through this. So it's, you know, it's, uh, you know. Uh, you should write. Have you, do you want to work with Eddie someday? I would kill to work with Eddie. Why haven't you done it? Have you tried? Have you thought about it? Well, you know what? My buddy, Andrew Form, who uh, runs Michael Bay's Platinum Dooms, he he had an idea for a movie that wasn't necessarily for me, but he's like, I want you to come talk to Eddie Murphy about it. I was like, and I told him it's not for me, but I want to come talk to Eddie Murphy anyway. So I got a chance to go to Eddie's. Did you go do it? I went to Eddie's house. You know, Arsenio was there. And, uh, you know. Wait, I, are you walk in and Arsenio Hall's sitting there? I mean, Arsenio answered the door. 
You know, just telling you He's working. He answered the door. He answered the door. He was nice as nice as can be. He's got his own show now, you know, so I think he's got a show he, back now. But so I, I think still, he still might fine. answer the door. You know, and that's and, the way those guys regard Eddie. The people of that generation, all of us, right? Yeah, regard Eddie. Yeah. I mean, Eddie was, you know, and Eddie grew up right down the block from me. Not down the block, but down in the neighborhood. Roosevelt and Eddie. I was just obsessed with Eddie. You know, growing up. So when I went to his house and was just sitting there, and Eddie comes down, you know, in like a silk kimono or something. But I was just like it's Eddie Murphy and I don't get starstruck a lot but um, yeah but I would love to work with him yeah you gotta develop an idea for Eddie yeah man. it would be crazy but you couldn't quite do the idea that they wanted to talk to you about that day you know what we talked about it and uh, you know actually as I sat with Eddie I started to get somewhat more excited about it and then we just you know we never figured out I was doing something and Eddie had 400 things going on do, so. do you find the only people that you can get sort of rattled by or starstruck by are people who became famous before you were doing this Probably, yeah. But it's also the people, it's the people, you know, that I idolize. Like, I mean, Larry David is somewhat of a friend of mine, but, you know, he was, my girlfriend threw me a surprise birthday and, and yeah. Larry David's there. And I walk in and my friend from nursery school is there and he goes, am I allowed to curse on this thing? <laughs> yeah, I, if they may be able to bleep I, it, maybe they're going to curse. But I don't have to, but I walk in and he's like, holy, Larry David's here. And I got excited. I go, Larry David's here, right. and he's literally an inch from my face. He goes, "Doug, I'm here," and I think he looked at me like I was a creepy, you know, fan. Uh, sure, and of course, I still am. And and Larry, I've known now for I don't know ten years. He did the show season one, and I still I still look at him, and I'm in all of them. So it's more about the guys that you know I just look up to and and just go, "Wow, I just wish I could you know do that." Sure. And what about the athletes? Like I remember you told me when Mickelson was. Uh that that was sort of a big deal for you the day that Phil Mickelson... Well, one of the things that happened with Phil, which was crazy, and I love Phil, is, you know, um, we had a line on the show that said, he's melting down like Mickelson at yes. Wingfoot. Yeah. And uh, Kevin Dillon and Jerry Ferrara call me up and say, we just ran into Phil Mickelson. He loves the show, and he would love to do it. And I'm like, oh, my God, that episode is airing in, like, a week from now. Right. And I don't oh, that's think... that's great. I'm like, he probably is not going to want to do it. So we'll let, like... They're like, no, he wants to do it. I go, I know. But when he sees that, he's he sees that I run. ripped on him. So anyway, a year later, Kevin Dillon and Jerry or whatever are still going, Phil Mickelson, Phil Mickelson. I'm like, all right, let's call his agent. <laughs> so we call his agent, and they're like, he's in. And I'm going... He obviously did not see this, you know, obviously. But I'm stressing about this for days as I'm waiting for Phil Mickelson to get there. And uh, as he comes to the set, I'm like, I'm like, hey, Phil. I just trying to... He goes, yeah, 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 I know. He's melting down like Mickelson at, at Wingfoot. And he said to me, he goes, I'm sitting with my wife watching my favorite oh. show, minding my own business. But he was so nice. And it was like, you know, it was like he just got the show and got that that's what someone might say. And fortunately for for phil he's he's bounced back well from that so that must have been a satisfying moment for you yeah. though just to know culturally it's that it's, like it penetrated yeah no it's very satisfying and to hear, that, yeah to hear that stuff is always great i mean when i hear i mean we've been off the air three years and i still hear you know these guys on sports center you know saying victory and johnny drama and stuff so all that stuff is great no of course and and when you were so when you first came out to hollywood just to go back to because i want to pick up this this narrative because i, I think it's um there's something about on the show about the resiliency that Vince, ha you know, Vince has this resiliency mm. that the other guys fake at times, yeah. but he yeah. really seems to. And I'm sure all four guys have pieces of of you. Yeah, they do. Them. Probably except Vince, but yes. Well, yeah. I don't know. Don't you think the yeah. bounce back thing is sort of the the? Or I, I want to ask. Yeah, I mean, maybe. where do you think that that the thing that let you when you had these 
sort of like success, failure. You know, when, when you casually say it took two and a half years to get the show, yeah, I, like I what was know. that like to live through? I, you know what? I don't. I, it's hard to imagine because you know after after the pilot was done, script. We were all so ha- first draft. We were all so happy with it. From Steve to myself, I really, you know, I had a, I had like the head of UCLA screenwriting. I had her, you know, help me through this. And she's like, this pilot's incredible. And Why? Because it was the first pilot? Why'd you have her help you through it? I just, someone, I think Rob Weiss told me he had this great woman who was so great with structure and she's great to talk to. It can help you see your flaws and your story and all of this. So I sat with her and she was like, this script is so great. And I was, I remember I was sitting on my bed and Steve calls me and he he says, uh, so HBO read it, and I go, yeah? <laughs> and I'm always so freaking negative, and I was like, right. I was feeling like, okay, great. You know, and he goes, they don't like it. I go, uh, what don't they like about it? He goes, they don't like anything about it. <laughs> and oh, no. I mean, I remember walking with my German Shepherd to the park that day, and I was like, you know what? This is this is, this is is the end of the line. I don't know. I can't do any better. I can't do any better. I really uh, can't feeling. do any better. Brutal feeling. And, and the interesting thing about that script to the final product is 50-60% of what the final product was a year and a half later. But there's things that people see differently and and that you have to really navigate through, especially when they're the powers that be, what they're saying. Or you can just say... How do you figure out how to do that? I don't know on that one because we spent times... I mean, the, the crazy things that we went through to try to... You know, HBO was the kingdom at that moment it was like there was nothing else there was no yeah. no fx no amc no sopranos Netflix. is on the air sopranos is on the air sex but... in the city is like um has crested it's all yeah it's at the top of its game right. pretty much it's just it's the it's the place that everyone wants to be and there's no other place it's not like if we didn't sell this to hbo we're going anywhere else so you would sold the pilot uh, the idea to hbo we sold the idea to hbo which i thought was like you know I, I, we walked out of that meeting like vanilla sky when Cruz is like spinning around <laughs> i thought like right. my life was made i was right. paid fifty thousand dollars for that script it two years later when i said hey you guys want to give me a little bit of money it's like i'm, I'm starting to get hourly wages here they gave me like 2500 bucks as a bonus you know like were you, not a bonus what, so what, what as an advance on like the next thing what were you doing during that time were you getting I, any writing I, jobs i got i sold a couple of scripts i worked for a minute on uh, the bonnie hunch television right show. as a staff writer and i like i said i was like thinking about like going to law school I so mean, that was when you, you mean know, you had written the entourage so you sell the pilot as mm-hmm, an idea mm-hmm then you tell them the story and you go and write it mm-hmm. and you write and you have those four characters right mm-hmm. away and yeah. Ari too Ari was not there it was it was uh it was Jeremy Piven playing my agent Jeff Jacobs at the time uh who was a CA agent I don't know if you know Jeff Oh yeah of course yeah so he was my ca- camp counselor he played basketball with a lot of my friends yeah so yeah. Jeff was my camp counselor and and it was Jeremy Piven playing him in my first outline so the guys were there but there were about 12 other characters there was a chef there was a bodyguard there was there was everything you know um and it just kept you know, whittling down, whittling down, and whittling down. And but how? And and well, it kept whittling down and whittling down. But you're you write this thing, and you you think with all those characters, that initial draft you turned in had like all these characters. The first draft had at least ten, eleven characters. Yeah. Was it still about the same thing? It was about the same plot, basically. Was it about the char- Was it about friendship in it the was same a, way? Yeah, it was definitely about friendship. Same same thing. It was darker. It was they were tougher. Um, you know, what made you not like throwing the t- like? I've been in this situation, no and sometimes you just go, 
like go s- screw yourself like sometimes you just really go i can't i'm yeah. sorry i'm done like what made yeah, well, you do i you was think- in that situation with you by the way i remember when we got when we got our call with hbo they were like i mean brian brian wrote a script you know that, that we were gonna do and and remember hbo was like we love it this is great we're, we were on like the three yard line and they were oh like, yeah that's they were a true like, story and they were like we want to change this and you, and you and david were like no we're not gonna and i always think about that because i'm like god you know, I wonder if I say no, what will <laughs> what will happen? But well, I'm a, I, I try to hear what they say, and there were some things that Chris Albrecht and Carolyn Strauss had that were really pretty brilliant. That and times, you were able to recognize that I wasn't, which is why it was so difficult. I didn't know what they were saying for a long time, and and Steve Levinson and I used to sit there and have these conversations because they kept saying we want this show to be fun, which sounds so obvious now, but we used to sit around and go, is this fun? Or oh, is it funny? Really difficult you know, to do. Is it funny? And it's you know the truth is it's like you know driving in the, in the car in the Ferrari and the airbag maybe explodes in your face might be funny let's say but driving in the Ferrari with your four best friends with three hot cars that's fun All right, but it sounds obvious now but. It was so hard to make it through all of what the notes were, and I think this was a show. I'd never done a TV show, so, you know, it, it's extremely difficult to go, okay, when they're asking you, like, so what's the eight seasons of this show? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm trying well, to get everybody through, just you know, makes that. I mean, you just make that up in the room, Well, right? you know what? Jeff Jacobs gave me the Bible to the wire, okay? Which well, was he like, really knew. David Simon really I mean, knew. But honestly, I wanted to, I wanted to kill myself after I read this thing. Every writer like, wants to know, kill themselves. I was after like, I mean, that. are you joking? Yeah. Is this what I'm supposed to have? Because like, I'll spend the rest of my life. I won't have this. You know, I couldn't write that document if I if I rewatched all the Entourage episodes and like <laughs> typed it out. So, um, you know, but you try to figure it out. And and I mean, one script. I mean, why did I keep going? I have no idea. But one script because they kept giving me like notes and did notes. you keep getting enough where you thought I can get this over. I can get this over the hump. They're going to do this eventually. I don't. I don't know. I really have no idea what kept me going because I mean there was so many drafts and one of the drafts was like they kept telling me like the guys need to speak in a voice in 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 a language that only they understand and I I didn't I was like like wind talkers like what does that mean <laughs> and I wrote a script I swear God, I was trying to find it I wrote a script with like a new language almost you know like with like guys saying phrases and stuff that never been heard before. And that's the last one. Something about that last one where, you know, and Steve read it goes, this is like, this is so freaking funny, but I don't know what the hell it is. Something about that last draft jarred something that the next one was the one that they said, let's do this. You know, that but that wasn't even the feeling. end. I mean, then they hired my, you know, I hired my own boss. It's like hiring your own, your own executioner. I had no idea. Like I was meeting like all these great, you know, television. You, you hired a showrunner? Yeah, but I didn't know. Nobody told me. They told me like to, to meet people, see how I got along with them. So I'm like him. I like him. The next thing I know. Who's that? They're. Uh, it doesn't matter, okay. you know. But the next thing I know, they're calling him, and they're not calling me. And I'm like, what is going on here? I've been working on this for two years, and now this guy. So you see in the business, you know, and it, there's a reason for it. I get it because fear. They want to make sure that someone knows how to do well, this. Well, your show before, is all. About, I mean, your show is uh, all, and you're all about fear. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it is. And I got through that, and then then the next one we brought in, which which was great. We got. Larry Charles, who was now going to come in and, and help me instead of, like, right. you know, boss me around. So after we got the pilot through, he came in. And well, he's a guy whose credits resonated with you. Yeah, and just his vibe. We right. just, we just, 
got it and you know it was it was me lev rob weiss and and um and larry and and, and you grew up with rob i grew up with rob and lev essentially right. i mean but um and we were just animals screaming at each other till four o'clock in the morning because we had no idea what we we're doing i think you know and larry would just sit there with his with his with his uh, peace beads or whatever and he was like everyone calm everyone calm and and you know helped us get through that first year which was just you know insanity and, and how did you process having i understand the way you processed like sort of failure um by just going well this is the world and mm -hmm. i'm just going to keep it. how did you process success i mean you wrote about it in the second season of entourage yeah. but how did you process it you know what it's it's sad to say because it really was such a mountain and you know the new york times review comes out and says we're the best show on tv yeah <laughs> you know it said and and by the way hbo had called me the night before to say get ready this isn't the type of show we normally do you're gonna be annihilated you know you're gonna get crushed oh, that's a great feeling to go so, to bed with so i was ready for and we our reviews could not have really could not have been better and i remember when i read that new york times review i really sat down for about four minutes and i was like i i did it i made it i everything i wanted as a child i just it just happened and within the hour, I'm like, I have no idea what season two is. <laughs> I don't know where to go with this thing, right. what to do, and and that's where the fear comes in. And that's I've always been fear motivated, and I think I think that's why I kept going. It was fear of like, what else am I possibly going to do? You know? So yeah, because my 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 Dave and I always talk. My writing and directing partner Dave uh, and I always talk about you. Know, you'll say, oh, you hate writing, and it's very hard for you to write, but. You know, like four or five times we came through your offices at, at Entourage. And, dude, I mean, you were just always in that office, in your sweats, yeah. writing. I don't know if I was like, writing or just pacing around, wasting time or, you know, looking at the internet. But you were generating, I mean, you have writing credit on, like, almost every episode of that show. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I definitely did a lot of writing. I wish I did it faster, but, um, you know, because they gave us a lot of time, which you, you may or may not get on uh, Showtime. We had a lot of time in between seasons. You know, if I was at a network, I would they would have thrown me out you know um but, but but somehow something in you does need to express yourself in this way yeah you i know. mean do you write uh, do you write every day no not even remotely close are you thinking about ideas or no. you don't write until i have Pressure. to now i have to do, yeah. you, do, what, do you try to generate ideas for like your next i did yeah i do that's why i have, I have about six things in development but i don't do it at the discipline that I should, because it's it's a painful process for me. So I I just try to to check out when I don't have to work now. So um, well, you know, you don't have to work. You're yeah. a guy who's been successful well, enough. That you yeah, don't have to. Well, work. if I want to if I want to live and eat and go to Don Pepe's all the time, I, I got to work. You know. But but it, do, are you do you want to make movies or television? To me, they're one and the same. You know, the way we made Why? Entourage was like a movie. You know, I mean, I don't want to make like traditional network sitcoms, but um, doing another show like, you know, like Entourage, which is basically a half-hour movie every week. Yeah, I love that. So, um, Direct, and do you, I know you said I don't think about it either way, but obviously you chose well, to I direct I like movie. I like directing. I like that. I like being on a set. I'm a very, uh, you know, writing is a very, you got a partner, which is great. I don't. So, you know, it's a lonely business I'm I like to be around people I've I've come to terms with I don't like to be alone so and I Hard chose, for a writer if you I don't chose this alone. profession that, that leaves me alone all the time so uh, so y y from here if the, the movie's gonna come out when does it come out June 2015 and uh, 
so are you going to learn your lesson and get the next directing job before the movie comes I wrote, out? I wrote that line in, in the show, uh, you know, make yeah. sure you have your next job. Yeah, no, I know. But are you, yeah, are you going to do it? We'll see. I'm going to try. I mean, are I you reading a, scripts? Are you well, writing? I have, I have a new deal uh, with, with CBS Studios now. So I have a three-year deal with them, so i got to get in with them. And I just, I'm just i working on a pilot for uh, the Weinstein Company right now. So I'm in writing mode again as soon as I get back to L.A. So I'll be editing and writing and then... You know, if I could find a movie that someone will let me direct, I would love that. How do you feel that Hollywood has changed for you? Like, do you think, so, you know, as we're going to start wrapping up, um, when you think about who you were when you were writing Entourage and it was mm. like you against the world, mm. how do you, how did you sort of like surf the change to being on the other side of it? Mm. And how do you kind of stay aware of, one, not becoming the people you write about? Yeah. And then dealing with the town as they're all like kissing your ass instead of holding you down like how do you process I mean, you just that? you just have to you just have to stay grounded you know and it's like i look at my kids every day and that's really the the priority to me there's you can't get caught up in it you know how fake the whole thing is and by the way i even know it with myself i know how quickly i can give um a poorly judged opinion of someone based on things that I don't know. I, I was actually talking Instantly. to I talk I was talking to Haley Joel Osmond about it. We we right. we came in together. He's in the movie. He's fantastic. He's a great actor. David Schiff, who's his manager, who I know for twenty five years, kept calling me Haley Joel, Haley Joel, and like immediately I'm like, all right, stop with the freaking kid from the Sixth Sense. Like it's enough, you know. And then I I told Haley this yesterday. His audition I had for four months sitting there, and I. When I first turned it on, he popped up, and it was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And I dismissed it. And it wasn't until four months later when I could not find anybody. that I went back to every audition that I have. And I looked at this kid. I'm like, am I crazy? How did I miss this, you know? And I think it, you can, you can tend to get in that same mode where, okay, they did it once, but that doesn't mean they can ever do anything again. And, you know, it is tough, though, because the truth of the matter is, and I get it now on the producing side, which I've now produced several things, and, you know, just because he wrote X doesn't mean he can write Y, you know? And, and even if his last movie was amazing, it doesn't mean the next one will be. So it's a very tough thing, and the money is so extraordinary to get a movie made or to get a TV show made that the failures can cost a lot of people a lot of things. So, you know... Yeah, I, that that all explains sort of why it's hard. How do you keep your head and not book like in in your own mind and just stay cool in a way and stay connected? Is it your is it those like friends of yours that keep you connected? Probably, is that why you keep probably? And I'm just very cynical. So my attitude is everybody's full of shit anyway. So no matter what they're saying to me, you suck. You're great. I kind of just ignore it, and I just have I have my own opinions of myself that aren't you know <laughs> you're not going to move the needle too much with me. Um, so I th I think that's it. You just have to go into it and you know try to surround yourself with people who help you know and have valid things to say to you. And when they tell you things are bad, that you actually go, oh, I, I get it. And when they tell you things are really good, you go, okay, I believe you. But you know the amount of change, even from by the way, just the movie getting announced, all of a sudden changed people's opinions of me. The amount of phone calls I got after the movie was announced. Like, hey, we should talk. Right. Uh, I'm like, what, why shouldn't we have talked a week and a half right. ago? Of course. Know? So, 
Um, and that, it is what it is, though. If you waste your energy on that, you know, you're you're dead. Yeah. What? Did the, yeah. I mean, you are you're you keep sort of an awareness of that, though. I Doug. have a you know you high clock, awareness. Yeah. You're able to clock. You're able to clock. Oh, that producer yes. suddenly wants to be my friend. Everybody. But by the way, I don't even take it personally because I understand it, and I understand that there's also a mode of. This guy, he's good, he's good, but this one's got a little heat on him, which is going to make my life a lot oh, easier. That perspective and is I, really smart. And I get it, you know. It's so, very healthy perspective. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not healthy at all, by the way, but this one thing I, I've gotten down to not be sucked in. The by fact the whole that you're not healthy is, is obvious. So I was just trying to give you something and just say in this area. Thanks. Well, you know, leave on this thing, which is um, Springsteen tells a story on, on one of his live albums about going back and driving through his old neighborhood. Yeah. You ever hear that story? Yeah. He uh-huh. kept driving through the thing, and then finally I think a cop pulls him over mm-hmm. and said, it ain't there. Right, man. right, 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 right. You know, uh, but I, I do think that probably that kid that yeah. you keep trying to talk to yourself back yeah. in your thing, Yeah. I mean, don't well, you think he'd be happy? He should be for sure. My my friend said all the time, you know, at my birthday party, Jeff Ross roasted me, you know, right. and my friends and my girlfriend gave him things about me. And Jeff Ross is like as funny as they get. He's like, he's like, they tell me I'm miserable, and he's like, yeah, I can see why, you know. But it's you know, it's uh, how people are wired. I don't think necessarily success or failure changes that. It it can amplify it in some ways, but. Um, you know, it, it it doesn't change it. But I've always been looking for that. That I love that Springsteen moment. I love Springsteen. He's, you know, my favorite. And um, you know, thinking about how often I did that, I transferred out of Tulane to go back to to go to Albany for a semester with all of my good friends from high school. Because I still was like, even though Tulane's the greatest place in the world in New Orleans, <laughs> and I was there five minutes, and I was like. What the hell did I do? I called my parents. I'm like, if you don't get me out of here, and I'm going to kill myself. I was there one up... semester. I went back to Tulane. I right. mean, I was gone for one semester. And it's... I went only like my parents had afforded me the opportunity to go to a beautiful private school in New Orleans. And I ran back to State Albany, you know, which is a nice place and great people, you know, have come out of it. But, you know, I lived in I lived in a motel called the Thruway House. I couldn't get housing. <laughs> like literally had one of those orange lights for messages that would come on my yeah. phone. And my meal plan was with no other kids. I was like with traveling salesmen and like this motel, I swear to God. So I was there for about four months and it was one of those lessons that really made me go, move forward. Stop, like do not look, and I don't, I don't look back. Like successes, failures, I'm just like, you know, let's go. Have you ever, and then we can leave, have you ever when you've done that, gone back to the house and walked through the house? Have you ever afterwards just gone somewhere with a notepad and written? No, but I should. (laughs) Just to see what would- I should bring you with me. Just to see what would happen? You know, I mean, I had my, you know, you know, Kenny Dichter, you know, got us, he got me and him inducted into the high school hall of fame, which I think was, you know, Kenny's the perfect, Kenny's the perfect right. marketer. So I think he, they didn't have one. I think Kenny he invented convinced it for him. And then we threw a dinner. Is and it like, Belmore? Is that where you yeah, went? Yeah, Belmore JFK. Yeah. So, uh, but I went back and, you know, we had 150 out of our 300 class there, you know, and it was, you know, it was just, it was great. But uh, you realize that, you know, you move on and and, uh, and things are different. I ran out of Long Island just as quickly as I possibly yeah. could. But I'm so honored to sit with a high school hall of fame. Yeah, right? oh, thank you. That's really great. you got to so, stop by there. Listen, thank you for doing this. Um, Thanks, Brian. I can't wait for the movie. I didn't ask you about the plot because... Uh, I figure you'll be talking about it enough cool. down the road. Cool, I appreciate that. But uh, everyone will go see it, I'm sure. And and thanks, man. Yep. Uh, it's Thank great you. to see you. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.